everyone, and welcome to the Home Birth Experience. It's been a few weeks since we released an episode, and I am so super excited to bring you this amazing episode that Christina and I just recorded with Dr. Stuart Fishbein. We jumped right into a Zoom call, so the start of this episode is just kind of jumping right in. We didn't even bother doing an intro when we were on the call with him, and this one really got down and dirty. We opened all sorts of doors that we sometimes don't open on the Home Birth Experience podcast. I definitely voice my opinion in ways that I don't always voice my opinion, and Dr. Stuart Fishbein gave us some incredible information. As most of you know, I really, really admire him and look up to him as a mentor and an authority in the birthing world. And he he was a real asset to, I think, our whole community for the information that he shared on this episode. The episode's almost two hours long, so sit down, get comfy, driving in your car, sitting on your couch, taking a shower, trying to hide from the kids, whatever you're doing, settle in for this one because this one's really worth listening to. The information's really valuable and I think everyone's going to benefit and enjoy what you hear. So here we go. Yeah, so it's been what, like two years since we talked to him last? Yeah. I have such a crush on you, Dr. Stu. All my clients know it. They're like, you're going to talk to your crush, Dr. Stu, again? I'm like, yeah, I'm so nervous. (laughs) Um, That's flattery. I don't know what to say. (laughs) No, it's it's nice. um, I'm just doing what I can. I'm doing, I'm, I'm changing a few lives here and there directly and then indirectly and and whenever you sort of buck the system, as somebody like me does, you have to absorb the slings and arrows. Um, I forgot the rest of the saying. It's a Shakespearean saying, but I forgot. of something misfortune, but I can't remember uh, how the rest of it goes. Do you know how it goes? No. Do you no. know your Shakespeare? Oh, man. <laughs> Although, I will tell you, when we first spoke, so we had a Zoom before our first podcast we recorded together uh, back in 2020, and I guess, I guess it was 2020. Anyway, you had said something about Atlas Shrugged, and you go, oh my gosh, Julia, you haven't read Atlas Shrugged? Well, since then, I listened to it on audiobook, and I, I mean, blows my mind. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, when in 1986, when I read it, it wasn't, um, things in the world were not anywhere like they are now. And yet you could still see all that stuff. Now, when you read it, it's like, how did she know 60 years ago? Exactly. And she knew because she grew up in this, I mean, she grew up in the Soviet union and she saw totalitarianism and socialism and state control of the means of production and all that stuff. And she saw how it always led, it always leads to demoralization, destruction, and eventually revolution. It just does. And everybody, every generation or two, they think they can do it better. Somebody always wants to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, so I'm glad you read it. Thank you. Uh, That's inspiring to me that I influence somebody to read the book because obviously somebody told me to read the book. I just don't remember who it was. 
Right. My best friend, John, and I actually read it together. And he, at the time, was working in metallography. So these machines that he worked on were examining, like, the metal composition of railroad ties. Oh, my God. Right. So it was really impacting him. And then at the same time, like right as we were ending the book, he decided to not get jabbed and lose his job. And so it was just this whole culmination of all these things. And and every conversation, we're like, that's so Atlas Shrugged. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he even understands what Reardon Steel is all about, he understands that. So it's that... yeah, no, that's that's very exciting for me. That makes my day. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks I, for I telling just hope me about that it. Some of your listeners and stuff like that take the time. It's a really long book. It's obviously not something where people have the attention span these days when everything is swipe right, swipe left, or you know, or you know, a TikTok video which lasts what twelve seconds, whatever. Then mm-hmm. is there a limit on TikTok videos? I, I don't even know. Is what? Is there a, a time limit on a TikTok video? I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. I'm not I'm very tech savvy. I'm asking listeners to, call, to write in and tell you the answer to that. Right? So right. I was listening. I think I've listened to all of your podcasts for at least the past two years. And one of your most recent ones, you were telling Bliss how you've been on social media more than usual lately. Um, have you gotten out? Are you feeling better? How are you doing? Oh, you mean as far as the COVID thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It, it, it knocked me for a loop for about uh, almost two weeks. Me too. I, I was really never that sick. I just felt blah. I was achy and had a cough. I never had a fever. I never had chills. I never had shortness of breath. I had... Um, about the second week, I started to get real congested in my nose and my sinuses, and so I did lose somewhat of a sense of taste, but it's the kind of loss that you get when you're congested because I could still taste garlic. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I could still taste garlic, it wasn't the neurogenic type of loss of taste and smell that you got from the virus. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then, and then it finally got better. And then, and then I had a couple of days where I went back to work and then I felt sort of tired again. I took another day or two off and then, and then now I'm full bore. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled that finally, finally, I, I, after two years of not wearing a mask much, other than when I'm forced to in California, and um, and not, not, I mean, I was limited from socializing because a lot of people weren't socializing and a lot of holidays and stuff were canceled, but but um, I went out, I did stuff, I, would, I did all the right things. I continued to exercise, I continued to be hiking outside in the sunlight, um, I tried to get as much dopamine and oxytocin I could get um, because those are the things that keep you healthy. And two years of doing that, and finally, like everyone else, essentially, whether it's my triple vaccinated friends or my unvaccinated friends, everybody's sort of getting Omicron at, at this point. And it's, you know, it's a flu. It's a flu. Yeah. Right? That's it. Right. Yeah. I, I, haven't... Any pregnant people, I haven't had any pregnant people that have gotten really sick from it. Really? Oh yeah, I've had a lot of pregnant women have it. Um, I've never had anybody, I haven't had a single client in the whole time that's ever been hospitalized. Um, We haven't either, but um, I mentioned in my show notes, we had a stillbirth and she was really, really sick. 
with COVID. Yeah, no, I've heard about increasing stillbirths and certainly increasing miscarriages. Of course, it's still being denied by your your thought leaders in in politics, but um, and and your uh, censors to big tech. But it's absolutely there's no doubt in my mind that there's that just using common sense. I mean, you're injecting experimental substance into people, and you know it's bad enough you're thinking about doing it to people under 30 who have almost no risk from this disease, but you're injecting in pregnant ladies, which have fetuses and you're, and you want to inject it all the way down to age five. And for whatever reason, Pfizer at this point is, is asking for emergency youth authorization to go down to six months. And it's like, what's the emergency in two year olds? Is there one? Truthfully, what's the emergency in any population? Well, they've already got it for everybody else. I'm just saying, yeah. I mean, it's over. It's over. It's over. It's a cold. It's a flu. It's over. Everyone's going to get it whether you're vaccinated or not. How is it that you're going to give a, a six-month-old baby this vaccine when it's not working and it's not been tested and you're going to give it... A, I mean, none of the vaccines really have been tested adequately anyway. and they've never. None of them have ever been tested against placebo. So, you know, and we know that people who are getting vaccinated, who are perelling all the time, who are afraid of dirt, um, they have much higher rates of autoimmune disorders and allergies and atopic dermatitis and things like that than kids that grow up on the farm or playing in the mud or whatever else. You know, when you have a parent that the kid picks up a stick and puts it in his mouth and they get all worried that the kid has picked up a stick and put it in his mouth, that's really good for the kid to yeah. do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, my kid drops fruit on the on the sidewalk, and I'm like, pick it up and eat it. <laughs> eat the dirt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I mean, I'm not saying you should be necessarily be eating off the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be misquoted, but I, but I, but I am saying that that live your life. Right. You know, if you have um, comorbidities that are, you know, take care care of yourself. Be careful. That's what we always did when the flu season came. Anyway, mm-hmm. this has been used for other reasons. This is never. This is. It's really never been about health. Initially, everybody thought it was because they conned us. And it's just, it's taken, some people woke up within two weeks and other people, it's been two years and they still haven't woken up. But eventually they'll wake up because eventually they'll come for them and they'll find that their fourth or fifth booster hasn't done anything, you know, and now they're having three periods in a month and whatever. So they'll figure it out. Yeah, or they'll just blame something else because they don't want to admit that they're opinion is a fallacy yeah well right now the blaming is still going toward the unvaccinated as if as if as if people like me are the cause of this problem right Mm -hmm. like it's me that's causing the problem in israel (laughs) it is how how can you understand that because i sneak into israel every other night And I go around blowing kisses on people. You know, I don't know. I mean... I knew that you had some teleport abilities. Yeah, I hop on my private jet <laughs> and I burn lots of fuel because I'm a, I'm a climate denier. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah, there's, my there's, God. There's, we have a pandemic of idiocy and that's where we are right now. Um, and I don't see... a. You know, I know that it's ending. I mean, some people in other countries are waking up. In America, they're waking up. Canada, they're waking up. But the leaders are still holding fast. Whereas in other countries like England and Norway and Denmark, and um, you know, they've decided as of February 1st that 
you know, this stuff's over. We can't control it anyway, and we're going to give people back their lives. And then I have my friends in Australia who are losing their jobs or can't travel, can't do anything, can't go anywhere, getting arrested. I mean, my friends aren't, but they, we, we, we share stories about what's going on in Canada. And, I mean, in, excuse me, uh, Australia. And I feel terrible because Australia is one of those countries where most people in America just love the Australians. Uh, we looked at them as a rough and tumble cowboy uh, on the outback. And, and it turns out that they all just buckled under. And a lot of people in, in Australia think it's fine to have the rights of people who aren't vaccinated be completely denied. That's a scary thought, by the way. That's America without the Second Amendment. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know what? The, the interesting thing about this whole pandemic thing is, is we in the birth world have seen this for decades in, a, in the birth world, because this is sort of, it, we've had tyranny in the birth world for quite a while. And, you know, women being told that, you know, uh, you can't do this, you're not allowed to do this, you're over 35, you know, your pelvis is too small, you're, you know, you, we need to induce you at 39 weeks, you can't be ruptured for more than 12 hours, uh, you know, all the things we've been told, which in reality are just simply not true. Mm-hmm. They're true for a small percentage, but you know the old saying about even a even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, occasionally there'll be a, a problem that their solution solves. But what they've done is they've come up with a solution to a problem that doesn't exist, and then they try to create a problem so that they can say, "Hey, look, we have a solution," mm-hmm. and that's what they do. It's all backwards. It's like ACOG approving. By the way, am I talking too loud? Not at all. It's perfect. Okay. Um, ACOG approving um, or recommending that pregnant women and breastfeeding women get the the vaccine last fall before there was any data at all. And then initially the data comes out from the corrupted uh, uh, universities and things like like that, um, saying that there's no risk to this. And now, you know, we've always known there's risk. Countries that aren't as corrupted as, as our country is, our FDA and our CDC and our universities, who are all taking big pharma money, um, uh, those countries uh, have put out a lot of data that shows that there's problems. And, and for American women who, who are pissed off if somebody blows secondhand smoke in their face, to line up to take an experimental vaccine while you're pregnant, is, is, it's insane to me. When you're 27 years old, you're not at risk from this virus. And then they use the argument, well, if you're pregnant and you catch the, vex, the virus, you could get really sick and you're more likely to go to the ICU. And if you've been listening to my podcast, as you said, you know what I think about the term more likely. Right. More likely is one of those key phrases that once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it. And it is it tells you nothing. Because what, instead of one in a million, it's one in, in 800,000? Oh, okay, well, that's more likely. It's still not very likely. So what is the actual risk? And that's something they, they will never tell you. Right. Yeah, most of the information coming out is so arbitrary. They're, you know, they don't have data to back anything up. There aren't facts, but I'm glad that there are people that are really standing up for our freedoms. And, you know, I've been listening to Del Bigtree, and he did the whole piece on the uh, march in D.C. for what Christina went. She yeah. went with her. Oh, yeah, he went. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, it was against mandates. I, I listened. That's his last episode. I, yeah, he hasn't gone out yet. Yeah, yeah, and he has the doctor on who was on with, Ron, with Senator Johnson. Yeah, I can't uh, wait to hear. 
Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched a lot of that. I haven't watched all five hours of that hearing. Yeah. Because, again, people don't have the bandwidth to spend that much time doing it. And I understand that uh, because the way the way our minds work now on just, you know, click, 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 click. But um, that it, it's devastating. And yet the mainstream media doesn't even cover it. They call Ron Johnson a, uh, you know, all kinds of names. And um, yeah, and these are these are world class scientists, nurses, doctors, frontline people. And they're, they're to be ignored. But because I don't, you know, again, I don't know what's in it for, for somebody who works at, at NBC to be so deceitful. Other than maybe they want, they'll lose their job if they speak out. But mm-hmm. I think weird. they've just been brainwashed. Yeah, they're following orders from above. But you know they don't believe it, though, because they all go out on their own without masks all the time. They're caught all the yeah, time. Yeah, true. They don't believe their own propaganda. So that makes, clearly, it tells you that it's propaganda. So how do they, you know, what do they tell their children and grandchildren when they grow older? You know, when they have, because these videos never go away mm-hmm. of, pe- of these people saying something that they're saying they're accusing somebody of misinformation. But here's another rule from a Birthing Instincts podcast is that if you look back at someone's track record six months ago, a year ago, look back through their social media and see that they're, they were wrong every time, then why are what they saying even considered to be valid anymore? And yet it is. The, 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 there's no long-term memory, um, even though it's out there. These people are, have been wrong on everything. They have. Everything. There's, there's nothing they've been right on. Nothing that MSNBC, CNN, the New York Times, you know, most of what Fauci says, again, I, you may have some listeners who, who think I'm wrong, and that's fine, and we can debate that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, if you look at everything they've said is, is turning out to be not true. And a lot of us knew that two years ago. Yep. Yeah. Dale Big Tree's podcast is uh, the high wire is a great podcast. There's a lot of people watching on video. I, I always in my car, so I never get to see the, the things that he posts, you know, like the, the pictures that he posts, but I, but he talks about it enough that you can understand. Yeah. You don't, I get, to watch to the, it. You don't get to watch the videos when you're listening, but that's all I have the time for. Yeah, I listen to it in the car, too. It's my favorite. It gets a little overwhelming sometimes. I have to be honest. Like, there's times where I just... I I get so overwhelmed because I I feel so passionate about it and so empowered with all this knowledge that people like you and Del Bigtree and Joe Rogan, like, all these people are putting out. And then I go, but I'm just me. What do I do about this? You know? And I I just have to keep doing what I'm doing, catching babies at home, empowering women to have the freedom of choice and um sometimes that's a big enough fight alone to to give them choice informed consent and shared decision making yeah it is overwhelming and that's why most people just go along because they just want to go home to their apartment or their kids or their family or their wife or their spouse whatever um and they don't want to fight and they and they can't they can't afford to homeschool their kids. They can't afford to lose their job. Um, but ultimately, what the problem is, and, and some people will wait and hopefully hope that somebody else steps up and takes the brunt of the, of the uh, assault. Mm-hmm. But 
ultimately history has shown us that they will ultimately come for you. Yeah. And if you compromise your values to keep your job, what does that really say? And how do you really continue to keep the moral high ground for your family? And, um, yeah, how do you keep that going? Eventually, you know, you could say, well, I'll keep getting vaccinated. I'll keep getting vaccinated. I'll keep my job. But eventually there'll be something that you do that they don't like, and then you'll be uh, ostracized as well. Mm -hmm. Um, we can't all be sheep. And we can't all be shepherds, but we, it, the time to stand up is long past. We, everybody needs to stand up now. And I, I, I pray to God that we have the truckers in the United States come up and just, I was hoping six months ago that the firemen were going to do it. I thought so too, but they didn't. Yeah. They talked about it on, on the high wire. They, they, they had a fireman on and they talked about the possibility of, of all the firemen walking off the job. And that would have been great. It would have. If policemen walk off the job, that's fine. Yep. All right, but they didn't do it. But the truckers, when I think about it, are even, you know, not, they're equally as important, if not more important. than the, I mean, the firemen can't get their, their helmets delivered if the truckers don't deliver their helmets. So. True. <laughs> <laughs> they can't get their oxygen refilled without a truck. So um, the truckers, you know, they, they really control things, and... It's fun watching, it's fun, it's sort of frustrating too, watching the um, situation in Ottawa where you see uh, Trudeau and the, and the uh, Canadian government trying to label these people, mm -hmm. these normal people, as radicals and, and Confederate sympathizers. I mean, like, there's a lot of Confederate sympathizers up in Canada, really. Mm -hmm. You know, Trump supporters. I mean, they're calling every name that they think will work. It's not working anymore. You know, calling somebody a racist or a Trump supporter, that, you know, that doesn't work anymore. You've worn that out, but they're still playing the same game. They and, are. Uh, and we see that from our government, too. You, you, you speak up against the government, and rather than taking you on and debating you, they want to just shut you down. They call you names and we want to shut you down. I mean, look at, look at the controversy. Well, it's, I don't know what's happening today, but with, with Joe Rogan and stuff. Yeah. I mean, he had Robert Malone on. And they can't, the left doesn't know what to do with that. They're, 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 their minds explode um, when they're confronted with facts. Yeah, and didn't he also have Peter McCullough on? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, he's yeah. had a lot of people, he said, you know, he also has MMA guys on, and he has Fisher on, and he has, he has all kinds, of, but it, it, it's the, the, the one world order people are like the band behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. All right, they've got this great and powerful cloud blowing out steam, and Toto pulls back the curtain, and you can actually see it's just this little man that's running things. Hmm. And think about who's think about in our country who's running things right now. You got eighty-year-old Nancy Pelosi, you got eighty-year-old Joe Biden, you got eighty-year-old uh, Chuck Schumer, almost eighty years old. I mean, these are the people that are running the country. I. I agree, but respectfully disagree. I think that there are some financial powerhouses that are telling them what to do. Oh, that's not disagreeing. Yeah. But the, I mean, that's who our leader, that's who they, they have put those in office because they can be maneuvered and manipulated. They can be yeah, bought no, and sold for price. Yeah, the, um, you know, they use the word existential way too often as a threat. Everything's an existential threat. But what is an existential threat is is the censorship, big tech, 
Google, YouTube, which is Google. Um, Facebook took a slap in the face this week, which is nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't wish the people that work at Facebook poorly, but I think they work for a company that's a piece of shit. And, I agree. Uh, yeah. So these are these are these are the things. And then Bill Gates wanting to vaccinate every man, woman, and child in the world. Disgusting. I heard a story again. I don't know if it's true. I heard a story that the LA Zoo was vaccinating their cheetahs. Oh, I've so. heard of various zoos vaccinating their animals against COVID nineteen. I think it's commonplace mm-hmm. now. The big animals. Where's Peter? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I look at. I mean. People would be more upset about them vaccinating cheetahs than vaccinating two-year-olds. That's what's really frightening about them. That's disgusting and frightening, yes. They're coming for the babies, the six-month-olds. Babies. I think what's going to yeah, happen... they're going to give them all chronic illnesses. Exactly. Dependent, and yeah. dependent on the pharmaceutical companies for the rest of their life. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah, is you know, the method they... Almost, they've been using that for years. They've been using that method for years. And it. it I think this was just an experiment of how quickly they could do one massive dose of something to get a massive amount of people on their regimen of drugs and this, that, and the other thing. I mean, it just is so obvious. I don't understand why people can't open their eyes. Yeah, and, you know, it's hard for the average people to conceive of such evil. That, it's, it's hard you know, to think of They that. actually sit in a boardroom and come up with this stuff? Or is it, is it so much about making money for some people, it's about power, but for the pharmaceutical companies, it's about power and money. But the truth is, is all these pharmaceutical executives, they're all going to grow old and die. You can't take it with you. How much money is enough? They're, they've got more money than they'll ever possibly need. But they, but see, they, but they have, they're, they're hollow inside. They don't have, they've, they're all atheists. They're not, they don't, you know, they're not God-fearing people. And they they eschew the family, and so they, they, what purpose do they have left in life but to take up some cause? Look what we're doing for the greater good. Look, we're saving the planet. We're saving the babies. We're, and that's what they. You know, and then you delude yourself into thinking that way. And it's the same thing that goes on in you know. If I bring it back to our profession, mm-hmm. why do they? Why? What was the need to come up with a paper to induce everyone at thirty nine weeks? What was the point? Did nature design all this over thousands and thousands and thousands of years so that we think the hubris of man in 2020, whatever year it came out, 2020, 2019, um, can, can, can alter it within, you know, one generation and do it better? No. And then if people listen to me, they know that I've said that, you know, that's because the only endpoint that matters in research papers is neonatal death. Nothing else matters. So if you have a live baby in the bassinet, um, then you've succeeded. It doesn't matter what you've done to the woman or the woman's psyche or the woman's body or the, or that baby or the woman's future babies. Um, that doesn't matter. That's never considered. Uh, it's only considered their only endpoint because they, for whatever reason, they think this is a good idea. But why is it only humans? Right. Why don't we, why don't, I mean... Why don't we induce all cows? To, I don't know I mean, what's a gestation of a cow, but <laughs> <laughs> but if we're gonna if we're gonna decrease stillbirths with humans, maybe we're deal decrease stillbirths with cows if we induce them all. 
I, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm hoping ranchers don't pick up on that and start doing that. <laughs> I have lots uh, of ranchers that listen, so you better watch out. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, well, uh, you know, um, that's a joke, and we you have to joke because it's only right. made up. You know, that's why I love like the Babylon Bee because the Babylon Bee yeah. satire is almost it's almost not even satire because some of it's so close to reality anyway. So funny. You know, Seth Rich, I think is the, I think that's his name. I think he's the um, CEO of the Babylon Bee. You know what the Babylon what, Bee is? I was just going to say, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, I have no I follow. I reposted oh, it's, it's something. A satir- it's a satire site. It's just, a, it's, it's on Instagram. It's a satire site. Okay. And they, 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 they make fun of things. Okay. And I saw him interviewed one time. He said, you know, before when we, when we said something that was satirical, maybe it was satirical for a couple of years. And then maybe it came true. Now we say something that's satirical. Within a month, it's actually happening. Yeah. Um, Scary. So it's really hard. It's really hard now to, to be satirical. But you have to have some humor in order to get through the 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 lunacy and the and the evil that is that is going on in 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 the name of what people think is good. How is it good that we went from five percent C-section rate in the United States? to a 30, 32% C-section rate in the United States, which is low compared to other parts of the world, um, which is a 500% increase in the cesarean section rate with no change in the rate of cerebral palsy or hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. And why are, it's, it's classic di- diversionary tactics. If you, if, in the home birth world, if you look, they... they they, without a doubt, every three to six months, they come out with an anti-home birth research paper. Yep. As if the problems in obstetrics in the United States are because 1% of people are having babies at home. Right. And it's that same thing. Don't look at this man behind the curtain. Look over there. Look at those nasty home birth people because they have a higher rate of HIE. Well, just look at your data. Let's look how you collected your data and let's analyze that. Let's see what the actual numbers are as opposed to your, your relative risk or your odds ratio. Mm-hmm. Again, odds ratio is interesting, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't know what the denominator is. Correct. Yep. So what do we want to talk about today? I don't know. You just got your pen out. What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so I sent you, uh, when we were talking on Instagram, you said, what do you want to talk about? And I sent you a couple of things, and then I thought, oh my gosh, I better get my act together and really lay this all out. Um, so when you replied to my email, you said that there are a few things on my extensive list that you felt a lot of feelings about um, and other things you didn't. But, you know, kind of going back to talking about the powers that be and they don't necessarily know what is best for us. One of the current struggles in Ohio is the regulation of midwives because we're one of the very few states left that does not offer a license for CPMs, direct entry midwives, or licensed midwives. So um, I have always been against it. I've always been against getting licensed and being regulated. But then with these powers that be, I feel like if I don't get on board and have a say in what this bill actually says, then they're just going to railroad us and we're not going to have a say in it at all if we don't step up because being one of, I think, five states that is unregulated, 
everybody keeps saying, well, it's coming down the pipelines and you don't want ACOG to be the ones that push it on you and then you get a really restrictive bill. So I've had a couple of meetings with Representative Kaler, who's sponsoring this in Ohio, and they, he and his team, they have an agenda. And although they take several hours to listen to our opinions, at the end of the day, I don't think they really care. And that was devastating for me last week. I really thought like, okay, I'm going, I have these bullet points. This is a one-on-one private meeting. I went to the group meeting the week prior. He's really gonna hear me. And he acted like he was hearing me the whole meeting. And then at the end of the meeting, threw it all back in my face like, I'm just gonna move forward with my agenda. And I, I, I just, it's- You have to understand that you didn't pay him enough. <laughs> No, you have to. So you're learning that you're learning this right now. But I, I'll, I, I learned this in eighth grade civics class, and I, I, I remember it to this day. Um, part of our civics class, we had to go to a city council meeting. So I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis called St. Louis Park, and I went to the St. Louis Park City Council meeting. And one of the things on the agenda that day was a referendum on on new curbs on I think it was Quebec Avenue, which is one of the we had alphabet soup streets. They all went A through Z and then the A through Z again. So we had first alphabet, second alphabet. And I think it was Quebec and a couple other streets, but I just happened to remember in my mind Quebec. And they had this open mic period of time where you could get up to the mic and maybe you had 30 seconds or a minute, like they do now at the school board meetings and stuff. And you could express your views on the new curbs. And they probably had 15, 20, 25 homeowners on that street come up to the mic, every single one of them was against new curbs. There's nothing wrong with our curbs. We don't need new curbs. And they closed the uh, commentary and they took a vote five to nothing for new curbs. All right? And I saw it right then. And, and if I would have investigated further, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have looked at the cement company that makes the cement for the curbs and found out who's, who's related to them on the uh, city council because that's how it works. So, so the lobbying, the lobbying industry of the doctors in Ohio and ACOG and the Ohio, uh, Ohio Medical Association, whatever you guys call that, um, they are worried about their turf and they want to control it. And there is no way that they're not going to pass licensing in Ohio because they can't stop regulating things. This is what people go, people, it's almost as if they get a jolly from getting elected and then forgetting why they were elected and, and representing the people they elected and getting all the accolades and perks of being in elected office and being told they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, you know, here's, you know, some money for your campaign and, you know, here's some tickets to the, um, what, what goes on in Ohio? What's a big thing in Ohio? The Browns game, or right? The, you know, the Bengals. Hey, the Bengals. The uh, Bengals here's some Super Bowl. Yeah. Here's some Super Bowl tickets, right? Okay, so that's what happens, and then and then they have to they have to pay lip service to their constituency, but their minds are already made up, mm-hmm. and you and you picked up on it. There's absolutely no way it's not going to pass, and if it doesn't pass this year, it'll pass next year or the year after mm-hmm. because. The big, the big uh, organizations, they have endless 
resources to keep pushing for something. And again, it's a distraction. All right. Mm -hmm. What's the unemployment rate in Ohio? What's the uh, homeless rate in Ohio? What's the uh, what's the um, the taxes? What's gas prices? What what are all the things that they can't fix in Ohio? So what are they going to do? They're going to worry about the half of one percent of women who deliver at home. And the platform that they're standing on is that Ohio has an extremely high infant mortality rate in the black community. And so that's their platform is we're going to fix black infant mortality if we make um, midwifery and home birth more accessible to the underserved populations. And that was, you know, the point that I talked to the representative one on one about. I said, this is not going to make it more accessible to people that are underserved. It is not going to make black women have babies at home. It's not gonna make black women become midwives. These are the things that you're telling and you're you're pushing this bill because you'll get votes because you're doing something for the greater good, but that's BS. It's not gonna yeah, change those things. That's the, that's the, classic, that's the classic political um, two-step is virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. They never, they, they never, they never ask themselves, does it do good? They only ask themselves, does it look good, or does it feel good? Yeah, I and just, yeah, because because pretty much every policy they put into place, and we could go with some dramatic ones like defund the police or or uh, you know um, giving out uh, giving out needles and syringes. <laughs> Yeah. In, in California and some of the major cities, we have you can go in and get needle get exchange. With, we get injected with heroin because we'll because we have clean syringes for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, this makes them feel really good about themselves, but what does it actually do? It increases homelessness, it increases drug abuse. And what was the first thing I said? Uh jobs. Oh, unemployment. The place, it increases crime. Oh, crime. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, it doesn't really matter if you look at if you look at the things that that have been run by big government. Is anything better than it was ten years ago, or twenty years ago, or thirty years ago, or forty years ago? No, it's. Just, I, I don't. It's... I don't see anything really being better now. Maybe I'm tainted. Maybe I'm missing the obvious. I mean, we have obviously conveniences. We, you know, the inter- the internet has been great, but now the internet is turning south and sour. Mm-hmm. Right. The idea that you have the world at your fingertips and all the knowledge of the world was great. But now you don't have all the knowledge of the world because because it's being censored by Google. And I would tell your listeners, please, 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 when you search something, don't use Google. Right. You know, I search on Brave or DuckDuckGo. Uh, There's other search engines that you can use, because if you if you put in something that's slightly politically charged, like. Dr. Robert Malone. Everybody know who Robert Malone is? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you put him in and you search him on Google and everything will come up about how he's a quack and how this and, and how he's been censored by YouTube or whatever. If you put him in another search, you'll find a, uh, uh, Dr. Robert Malone, a uh, uh, co-founder of the MRA technology and the papers and stuff. You'll also find some stuff. But if, in Google, if you, look at, if you look at the first two pages of your Google, and no one goes to page two anyway. No. Imagine going to page 9, 10, 11, 15, 37, 122. But if you look at the first two pages of Google, every single one of the references is a, is a media outlet on the left. 
And again, this isn't a discussion of left or right. I mean, it's hard to deny because it affects everything. But they're all New York Times, CBC, CNN, CDC. Uh, doesn't matter. They're all, there's no, there's no Fox News there. There's no um, uh, OAN or Newsmax or some other conservative outlet. You can't find anything on Google. Mm-hmm. You know, if, when, when, um, when uh, I did an experiment, because I heard about this from Breitbart, and again, I don't follow Breitbart, but I heard somebody on Instagram say, if you put in Breitbart Hunter Biden, okay, Hunter Biden comes up, and, and, and the Breitbart article on Hunter Biden is like on page four. Oh, wow. Nobody looks that far. No, of course not. But you're putting in Breitbart Hunter Biden. And everything else is about, uh, about how it's Russian disinformation. Oh, my God. Okay. So you can't... So that's, they, they've corrupted something that was actually fantastic when the Internet first started. And instead of having Encyclopedia Britannica and having to have them renewed every couple of years and then taking up all this space on your shelf, poor Encyclopedia Britannica, poor Blockbuster. Right. You know, poor all those places that, you know, they went out of business. That's what happens. But... But now you can't, now it's very skewed. And then you look at, look what they're doing to the um, to entertainment industry in the movies. Right. They took, off, they took off the Taiwan sticker off of Tom Cruise's Top Gun jacket. Oh my, really? Because China was offended, yeah. If you look at the jacket from the original Top Gun, he's wearing the same jacket in the other movie. And you'll see that um, they've taken off, I think they took off the Taiwan sticker and one other sticker, Hong Kong maybe, or something else, I don't know. But, um, yeah, because they're pandering to China. Wow. Um, right. So, I don't know if we got off track. So, so you're not going to... So, again, as far as licensure in Ohio, it's a done deal. It's inevitable. Right. I mean, it happened in California, too. And when midwives finally battled to get some autonomy away from supervision, then the doctors had to exact their pound of flesh by taking away breaches and twins and 37 weeks prior or 42 weeks after from these people. Why would you do that? What, what's the point? You don't do breaches, but you're going to take away the, the possibility of other people doing breaches. You're going to say that every woman that's 36 weeks and six days can't stay home. Right. Every woman that's 41 weeks and six days and isn't in labor yet, the midwife has to abandon her right. the next day. That makes no sense at all. If the if the needle needle if the if the biophysical profile and NST are fine at forty one weeks and six days, then you can wait three more days, and you can test her again at forty two weeks and two days. And if it's fine, you can wait two three more days. But that's not what you hear. I mean, if you trust the science of the biophysical profile, which ACOG does and medicine does. Um, then why is it okay at 41 weeks, but not okay at 42 weeks? What changed? Your anxiety changed, as mm -hmm. you meaning the uh, practitioner. Right. That's what changed. And again, women are called overdue when they're one minute past 40 weeks. Right. Exactly. And that is something... You that's know false. Half, half, of the, half of the population doesn't deliver until after 40 weeks. That's what a bell-shaped curve is all about. We rarely... I, sort of, I, I put up a post, I don't know if you saw it, a few weeks back, I, I put up a, a half of Liberty Bell on a post. 
And then on the second slide was a graph where pregnancy ended at 39 weeks. And I put the, the ACOG redefines the bell-shaped curve. Because what happened to the bell-shaped curve? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I rarely have a woman go before 40 weeks, but um, it's interesting, the psychology of it, too. I've had a lot of women that have had multiple hospital births, not induced, spontaneous labor, and they went before 40 weeks. And then they come into care with me and they go past 40 weeks. And I tell them it's simply because you were being forced. You were being coerced. You were being threatened and fear mongered that if you didn't have this baby by this date, we're going to induce you, you know, and I don't, I don't fear monger people, but you know, that is something I wanted to kind of touch base with you on is being a practitioner, especially in the political climate that we are today there is like, how do you deal with the fear of that? And thinking about licensure and thinking about, okay, when this bill passes, do I want to forego my CPM, you know, throw it away? I don't have that credential because if I do keep that credential, I will have to be licensed. It will be illegal for me to practice as a CPM without a license. But if I'm a direct entry midwife or traditional midwife, they have these clauses written in the bill that we are exempt because of our religious tenets that we are convicted that we are supposed to be doing this. Or do I start advertising myself as a childbirth educator? And, you know, there's all these things that that because of an agenda, because of a political agenda, um, that we then, I feel, are distracted by, our thoughts are distracted by them, which takes away emotions and time and energy that I would rather be investing in my client and their care and their family and how they're doing. And one of my midwife mentors here in Cleveland said, you really have to decide what kind of midwife you're going to be. You know, you just have to decide that. You have to decide what kind of midwife you're going to be. Um, I brought her to a breech birth that I had. She was like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, that I didn't feel comfortable attending by myself. Prior to that, I had, and it, it was a difficult one. I asked my mentor to take over because I had never, all the breaches that I've been at, they just slid out like butter. This one needed all the maneuvers. And even though I can go to training and learn on whatever the doll's name is, and I can practice and I can read, doing it with an actual baby I hadn't done, so she took over, did all the maneuvers. Prior to that, I had a stillbirth. Prior to that, I had dissatisfied clients coming after me with, you know, threatening lawsuits, this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, and I was the busiest I've ever been this year, delivering over what, close to 60 babies this past year, probably due to COVID, and it's just Christina and I. Um, so, and then there's this pressure from, like, I had a stillbirth, so I have to not worry about the next baby being stillborn. Like, I have to, to calm my fear and anxiety because that just happened to me. And so I said to my mentor, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I, I can't deal with these, you know, governing bodies and all these, these rules and regulations and standards of care. And then, 
you know, the thought of things not going as planned again, and I just, I can't do it. And she said, yes, you can. And I'll be damned if you don't, because you're a great midwife. And your issue is you need to figure out what type of midwife are you? You know, are you going to look at numbers on lab work or are you going to be a traditional midwife and trust the process and not worry about what is being regulated and what the NST says and so on and forth, so forth. But I've always, I've always been a traditional midwife. I have always trusted the process and I don't know what happened this past year, but Christina called me out on it. She's like, you need to relax. Stop worrying. Like, you don't have to give her any homeopathics in labor. You don't have to to tell her to change positions. Like, let it roll like you used to let it roll. And all this crap that happened in the past year, I just feel like as a practitioner, I... I really have to focus on going back to informed consent. It just feels heavy now. That was well said, by the way. I mean, that's a, that was a good monologue about that because it, your mentor is right. You have to decide, each individual person has to decide what path they want to take. And that path is not written in cement. You can always change paths. You can always do something different. Uh, I think your talents would be wasted as a childbirth educator. I think probably Christina agrees with that, right? <laughs> so um, it's it's a really tough it's a really tough thing. You at least have the choice of giving up your CPM title. And by the way, you are held to the standard of your highest degree. Mm. So you can't practice something less because if something happens the people who license you as a CPM will come after you, even though you weren't practicing as a CPM. Right. I've seen, I've seen that happen to a CNM who was practicing as an LM. Yeah. And uh, the, she moved to East coast like four years after she moved the, the board of nursing of California went after her for something that happened four years earlier in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, you know, and she wasn't practicing as an R, uh, as a CNM anymore. Um, yeah. This, you know, it's kind of like uh, you've heard the term virus is going to virus. No. You know, well, oh, well, yeah. Virus is going to virus means that viruses do what viruses do. Okay, right. And what what um, what regulators do is regulators are going to regulate. They're just going to do that. And you have to decide how you want to live your life. I have been doing this. Well, I've been practicing now for 36 years. So this is my 12th year in home birthing. And I'm also like you. I think that the I think that the whole oppressive nature of what's been going on in the last couple of years takes a toll on everybody. And whether you're your age or my age, uh, it, it it changes us, especially if we're sort of liberty, freedom loving, conscientious people who want to do the best for our individual client, but we'll always have a third party that's nosing in in into a stuff. I mean, I just you know this year I got like I don't even know what happened to it right now, but. I got a letter from the medical board investigating me for a Facebook post. Okay. So it was a Facebook post, a beautiful Facebook post about a family that had twins at home. And someone, one of my anti-twin troll people, I think I know who he was, um, sent an, an, you know, it's an anonymous letter. So even as a physician, there's anonymous complaint. The board investigates it. I have to spend money on an attorney I don't get to know who the complainer was. I don't ever get to f- face my uh, accuser. 
you know, and at this point, I don't know what's happening with that, but I told my lawyer said, I'm going to go tell him to pound sand. Um, th they have to have a complaint from, they don't, the, the patient is thrilled. So, you, you know, I mean, what are they looking at? Right. But it, 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 this is what they do. And they don't really care about the quality of care you give. Uh, these consumer protection agencies are not consumer protection agencies. Whether it's your, it's your nursing board or your medical board or whether it's the FDA or the FCC or the, um, or the, uh, um, the energy, what's the, uh, the, what's the one that does energy? Uh, well, whatever it is. They're, they're, they're supposed to represent the American citizen. Right. Does the FDA protect you? Does the FCC care about you? Does the um, uh, California Medical Board or your Ohio Medical Board really care about you? No. They care about whoever you know, gives them the most kudos and or the most, if you're talking about the FCC or the FDA, you know, they're regulating these big companies that are that are bankrolling them. Yep. So that's why you see 5G going in everywhere. And there really was no studies about 5G. And that's why you see experimental vaccines being supported by the FDA and the ACIP panel, which is their panel that approves these things for use, just rubber stamped it down to age five and they'll probably rubber stamp it down to six months. And um, when they, they when they approved it down to five, age five, do you remember that? Um, it was like 17 to nothing with one abstention. Not one single person on the panel said, wait a minute, why are we giving it to, to 10 year olds? They're not at risk. Mm -hmm. Not one person said that. And then I forgot his name. He's from Harvard and he's the editor of the New England Journal. And he said something which it's kind of like Nancy Pelosi said when she oh. said, um, uh, you have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. Oh, yeah. He said, well, we'll just have to start giving the vaccine to see what problems it causes. Yeah. That's uh, not quite right. And so you, you, these people, they, they're not going to protect you. They're not going to remember. So how do I deal with it? Um, well, I'm lucky because I'm old. And if, if I ever got into a situation where they want to take my license away, they can have it. All right? I mean, I'll fight a while but uh, you know i don't have that desire i'm ready to go work on a, you know, raise chickens and and uh and horses and stuff like that on some farm someplace in you know oklahoma or someplace where you know i can buy some land that's still relatively not ridiculously expensive um in a, in a state that's not totalitarian like my state is mm -hmm. uh, so i can do that but uh, younger people have to figure this out for themselves everybody has to figure it out for and, and as far as the malpractice issue goes, I mean, I haven't had malpractice insurance in 12 years and it's been the most liberating thing I could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. I don't have some third party telling me what I can and cannot do. It's like, I don't take insurance. So I don't have an insurance company telling me what I'm worth. And I don't work in a hospital or a hospital system like Kaiser out here. So I don't have anybody telling me what I can and cannot prescribe or what I can and cannot recommend. Like if I have a patient who who wants um, Zofran for her nausea, which I'm not a big fan of. We just did a podcast coming out on hyperemesis, by the way, but but um, I can prescribe it. Whereas when I was with insurance companies and stuff like that, I had to like go through a, an algorithm with the guy on the phone from Blue Cross that said, well, we're not going to cover Zofran until you've tried this and this, until she's been hospitalized with dehydration and gotten IVs, and then you can have Zofran. You know, or if I want to pre prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, I can do that. Um, wow. I don't have somebody telling me that if I prescribe it, I'm going to lose my job. So it's the greatest thing in the world. And I look at all of my colleagues 
most of whom are just rubber stamping. Uh, List likes to call it um, regurgitating information. They're fed by ACOG or the CDC that, oh, you're pregnant. You definitely should get this vaccine. And not only this one, but let's give you the flu vaccine and the Tdap vaccine. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, we're not going to check you to see if you've got immunity to pertussis. We're just going to give you the vaccine. And by the way, if you had a kid two years ago and you got the Tdap vaccine and you're pregnant again, let's give you another Tdap vaccine. Oh, yeah. Does that make any sense? Right. When you're, when you're an adult and you step on a rusty nail or you have an industrial accident and you get a tetanus shot, when do you have to get another one? If you believe in that at all, which I'm... Isn't it 10 years? Yeah. Like, 10 years. Yeah. Do you know, how many, you know how many tetanus shots a kid gets before they're five years old? No. Four. I didn't know it was four. Well, they get four DTAP shots. That's insanity. Well, well, yeah. Well, it is insanity. Why not check them after the first... DTAP shot and see if they have immunity to pertussis. If they do, why are you giving them another shot? Why are you giving them a third shot? Why are you giving them a fourth shot? Because it's on the schedule? Who created the schedule? Oh, that's right. right. It was the CDC. Who funds the CDC? Oh, that's right. It's Big Pharma. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Right? And why did the legislatures pass a law that says you can't go to school here without following the, the CDC vaccine schedule? Well, who funds the legislature? Oh, that's right, Big Pharma. Huh. Yeah. Funny. Funny. But it don't connect the dots. Don't look over here. Look at those home birthers. You home birthers. <laughs> yeah, you you you're the problem. We are troublemakers. So each individual person has to decide for themselves. And by the way, it's perfectly normal to sort of lose some of your um, enthusiasm and some of your confidence when you've had a stillbirth. I mean, I, I have never been the same since I had one about three, maybe four years ago. My first one ever. Uh, oh, really? An interpartum one. And yeah, it was devastating. I mean, it was, we did everything right and, you know, it just happened. Right. And, um, you know, if she'd been in the hospital, she wouldn't have had a stillbirth. That's absolutely true. Really? Oh, they would have done a crash C-section on her. But, you know, we didn't have that luxury at home. Um, but... How many of the women that I've delivered, reaches twins, head down babies, V-backs, would have had a C-section and maybe in a placenta accreta or a hemorrhage or a hysterectomy or a transfusion or breastfeeding issues or microbiome issues or whatever else if I hadn't delivered them at home? But see, again, if the only issue that matters in research papers with academia is neonatal death, then we're, we're the bad guy. Absolutely. All the things that they do that, that I just described... That, that doesn't matter to them. Nope. More perineal trauma, more episiotomies, more breast, uh, more separation, more uh, C-sections, more inductions, more epidurals, more like that's, oh, that's perfectly fine. That's, that's nature at work. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would, that would be a, a Babylon B uh, post. <laughs> you know, it's not nature at work. It's you intervening. And then one intervention leads to the cascade of interventions. And then you end up, with babies in the NICU. And, you know, they, they talk about how um, when you have a home birth, it ends up in a transport. And by the way, I would just like to say, most of your listeners already know that, but most home birth transports are like get in your car, drive to the hospital, and they're not urgent at all. And if that baby ends up in the NICU, it's considered a home birth NICU admission. 
Right. When actually the baby was fine when it walked in the hospital, the hospital screwed it up. Mm-hmm. And by and if you ever go to a NICU in a, in a major hospital, there's a lot of preemies there, and that's great. They do great work with those. But there's a lot of seven-and-a-half-pound babies in the NICU that were fine when their mothers walked into the hospital mm-hmm. for labor. And somehow they ended up in the NICU. And that's never discussed. Well, that's the norm. You know, hospital model is the norm. You guys are the outlier. Well, wait a minute. Our outcomes overall, you know, are, are better in so many ways. They may be worse in some ways, but they're better in so many ways. Why do you get to decide whose decision does it belong to? Right. And that's the, something they can't they can't abide by, that the actual individual woman could have a thought that might be different from, you know, from the... Um, um, funneling that they give them to, you know, to take the Tdap, to take the flu shot, to to drink the sweet stuff, to, you know, have the NT screen, have the 20-week ultrasound, you know, start NSTs at 37 or 38 weeks. Oh, because you're over 35, your placenta is about ready to drop dead and give out. Right. So let's start testing your baby. And we can't let you go past 40 weeks because then you'll have a stillbirth for sure. Even though the rate of stillbirth is less than half of 1%, and, you know, even at 40 weeks with twins, people, all twins got to be delivered at 37 to 38 weeks because the stillbirth rate rises. Well, I have news for everybody. The stillbirth rate rises in all babies after 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that it rises. There's one of those words again. It's what does it actually rise? And what does that mean to the individual woman? Some people may look at one in 200 as a number they don't want to take a risk for and they'll undergo an induction or a cesarean. And they won't be told, by the way, the risks of the cesarean to that baby and all of her future babies. They'll just be told that, that they're that they're going to avoid that neonatal death risk. Other people look at 1 in 200 and go, well, that's a 99.5% chance not going to happen. That sounds pretty good to me, and I don't really want to be induced, and I don't want a C-section, and I want four kids, so I don't really want to take that risk because I know what inductions lead to, and they make that choice. And so the choice belongs to the individual woman. It does not belong to the institution. And my friend Hermine Hayes Klein is actually involved in cases like that up in Oregon, I think, where, you know, when a woman comes in with a breached baby, they're told they have to have a C-section. They're not told of any other option. And that is an ethical violation. It is. By the way, every day in every doctor's office, probably my own too, and every hospital, um, ethical violations occur unbelievable, an unbelievable amount. We try to minimize them in our office, but everybody has a bias and they sort of skew their counseling sometimes. But when you don't give people the basic tenet of mythical ethics, which is that given the same information, two people are not expected to come to the same conclusion, and you have every and you have every obligation to give people informed consent, and they have the right to informed consent and informed refusal. And as for me, likes to say they have the right to uninformed refusal. Mm-hmm. They could be in the overall evidence that what the doctor's recommending is what they should do, and they can say, "I don't want to do it anyway." Right. And you can't, and, and coercion is never acceptable. So to say to that woman, well, we're going to call Child Protective Services on you, that is unethical. Well, and they that actually do the call. Time. They actually do well, call them. I know, and that's unethical. It goes on, it's coercion. Right, it is. And it's very hard as a practitioner sometimes to support a woman who is making choices that make you a little uneasy. You know, it, it's, I understand where both sides are coming from. I don't think the coercion and the protocols are right at all. 
But I understand the practitioner's fear to some degree. Oh, I'm not, I'm not questioning that at all. And the practitioner has a right to say to her, you know, I'm not comfortable, I'm not comfortable with your decision. I'm not the right person for you. Now, and, when you're in labor, that's a different story. And that's um, what's not happening. No, it's not happening. At every hospital, ACOG says this, the Royal College of OBGYN in Britain says this, that every hospital should have people on staff. If you're going to do labor and delivery, you should have people on staff who know how to deliver a breached baby, who know how to deliver a breached twin. Um, and if you don't, then maybe you should reconsider having a labor and delivery unit. But they're not going to do that. Because it's, and again, labor delivery by the way, for most hospitals are lost leaders. They lose money on them. Oh, yeah. They well, have closed several in our city. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a funny thing about that because they shouldn't, we don't want them to close. But ultimately, if you're not comfortable with doing something and you're calling yourself a, an obstetrician, I'm not even talking about midwives here. And maybe you've heard this if you listen to my podcast too. I talk about this all the time. Breaches sometimes are spontaneous, they're surprises. You might not know them. But if you have a set of twins, you know that at 12 weeks that they're twins. And if you're not comfortable with a breach first or second twin or a transverse lie with your second twin, then you should say to that woman at 12 weeks, you know, I'm not a twin expert. You should go see somebody else. Mm -hmm. How many OBs will actually do that? Zero. Zero. Right. 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 No, 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 I shouldn't say zero. There'll probably be some because they're, they're very nervous. And then, and then I would respect that. That's a respectable thing to do. But for a doctor to continue to take care of a woman with twins, knowing full well that they perfectly intended to, to funnel her down the C-section path if one of those babies is choosing to be flipping around a lot, um, they should have given up that woman a long time ago. Why don't they? I don't they don't know. get paid enough. You know, they don't get paid enough from insurance companies or Medicaid or what we call Medicaid, you guys call it Medicaid. They don't get paid enough to, to take on that sort of service, which is the Yiddish word. Um, so why, why do they do that? Why, why would you want to put yourself in that position? And as a home birth midwife, we can come back to the full circle here. If, if you're uncomfortable with certain people in certain situations, you've got to take that into account. And if you can no longer keep that buried underneath, you know, bring somebody into your practice who, so that you can play off each other. I love going to birth with a midwife because we support each other. Mm -hmm. I would, I, I don't like, I don't, I'm rarely at a birth by myself. Occasionally when the midwife gets tied up or gets stuck in traffic or something, uh, I might be the first one there. And I'm, you know, I like it. I, I feel more secure when I have my team there mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, no one's invincible. And, and, uh, you know, and we're all sort of a little nervous. I mean, maybe not all of us, but many of us are a little nervous until that baby comes out and makes that first looking around. They don't have to cry, but they have that good tone, that good color. They're looking around mm -hmm. and then you feel, okay, now it's only a matter of bleeding and issues and I can handle that. Right. So I'm not worried about that. I can sew and I can get the placenta out if I have to, and I can start an IV if I have to, and I can do all that if I have to, but right. it's, you know, it's that baby you want that baby to be fine and, and it's normal to have that sort of anxiety um man, people that don't i mean like i i listen to bliss a lot bliss has got this traditional midwifery innate inside of her um and i don't really want to even debate whether the term traditional midwifery should be used anymore because i don't know that i mean i love traditional midwives but most traditional midwives they don't use dopplers 
they don't, they don't, you know, take vital signs. They don't do anything. So um, can we really call our natural midwives traditional midwives anymore? I'm not sure, but we should come up with another name for that. But she, she, I think she has an innate calmness to her that I don't necessarily have inside. Mm -hmm. And maybe you've watched yourself on, on a video from one of your deliveries and I'll bet you're very, very calm and collected outside and talking very softly and smoothly. But inside, your pulse is probably 140, and your blood pressure is wanting one, you know, 150 over 100, and that's how yep. it works. I know. That's what she tells me. I'm like, oh, man, I was going wild in my head. And she, Christina's like, oh, I mean, you had this really peaceful, calm energy in the room. I'm like, okay, great. I'm glad that's what was coming out because that's not what was happening inside. No, and that's what, makes, that one, that's what makes a great practitioner is somebody who can... Our job is to, uh, you know, is to instill confidence in our clients because that's a mammalian thing. It gets back to the whole mammalian model of birth and how mammals who are stressed or anxious or bothered are not going to have a functional labor if they they labor at all. Right. Um, You're right uh, about the traditional midwifery and not really being able to use that term and whatever it means. I, you know, terms are what they are, but... I like I'm almost disappointed in myself to be completely transparent because during my training, you know, I went to the farm, I I learned with some of those midwives and I had a preceptor who she didn't always take vital signs. She wouldn't even let me use a Doppler until I was 100% proficient with the fetoscope. And even then I was like, why do I need to use a Doppler? I like the way the baby's heartbeat sounds when I'm listening with it in my ears through a fetoscope. And the only reason I ever used a Doppler when I first started practicing was if my client wanted to hear it, um, like the whole family here, you know, all the kids, everyone. But I also have like a longer tube on a fetoscope that the mom can put it in her ears and listen. And then, you know, and they I- don't carry, They don't carry medication either. No, and I never did. I never carried medication. Oh. I never carried oxygen. I never drew labs. Um, well, that's, a, that's a traditional midwife. Right. I never did any of that until a couple years ago, really. And I started dipping urine all the time. I started worrying about blood pressures all the time. I started, um, just this past year, I started drawing labs in my office. And I, I saw myself going into this place of... What are the numbers on the paper? Not, how are you today, Christina? What, why do you think that happened? Because I started to feel insecurity the more midwives I met and the more um, I, the more external influences that I had from, from other practitioners saying, oh my gosh, you don't do GBS swap? You don't do glucose tolerances? Don't you want a CBC to make sure their hemoglobin's in a good place so that you don't have a big hemorrhage. If you don't carry drugs, I mean, you better know what hemoglobin is so you don't have a big hemorrhage on your hands. And I say, well, that's what the placenta is for. That's what me talking to her about her diet is for, making sure that she's eating her leafy green vegetables and her grass-fed beef and her fats and going inside of her home and having appointments in her home and opening the trash can, purposely going to the kitchen and opening the trash can. Now I'm going to tell all my secrets and people are going to know before I come what to hide, you know, but opening the trash can in the kitchen, opening a cabinet in the kitchen, opening the refrigerator, seeing how these people actually live because what they're telling me in an appointment may not be the truth. 
Um, you know, I have relationships with, I would say 99% of my clients are very conscientious of their health and what goes into their body and their emotions and all of that kind of stuff. But I felt intimidated. I felt like I just started second guessing myself like, Julia, well, wait a minute. Why aren't you doing this? And I'll be honest. The other thing is getting my CPM because I did not have, I didn't practice with a CPM for the majority of the time I've been a midwife. And then this bill to license us is coming down the pipeline, coming down the pipeline. And I thought, oh, golly, gee whiz, I better get the CPM because if I don't, I don't want to become illegal and then not be able to serve the families that God has called me to serve. And that scared the shit out of me. I thought if I can't serve these families, then everybody's going to suffer. So it was only, what is the date on that? I've only had my CPM for a year. And it, I mean, honestly, the influence of the C, getting my CPM, taking yeah. that test and other people around me questioning me, not sending them in for an anatomy scan really made me insecure. And so I kind of did a 180 the other way. And I had a nurse working with me and she questioned everything. And that was disastrous. And then Christina brought me back, you know, brought me back. It was like, hold on a second. When I had a baby with you, you didn't do any of that. Like, what are you doing here? Why aren't you still trusting the process? And thank God for her stepping back in and being that voice of reason. And so I've just now come to this place of, I got to get my head straight. Like, I can't, I don't want to use a Doppler at every prenatal anymore. Yeah. You shouldn't. But do you, you have use to a do, Doppler? Well, you have to do what? What's that? Do you use a Doppler? Do you draw labs? Like what? We give the we give the patient the option. Yeah. And we and you know and I I do have I mean I am I'm um I'm a hybrid you know I'm still uh, OB so I have an ultrasound machine I have an ST machine I have all that stuff in my office I have a colposcopy thing for that sort of stuff which is rare I rarely use that but um. So yeah, so I still, you know, I still have that innate in me, and it's very hard for me to get rid of all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we have people that don't want us to do ultrasound, and if they choose that, that will honor that. It's really rare in my population. The West Side of Los Angeles is very into NIPT testing and and wanting to see the baby and wanting to make sure everything's fine, that sort of thing. So um, there's very few that are totally anti ultrasound, and and again, if they think the ultrasound is, is not good for their kid. I would tell them, well, are you wrapping yourself in copper mesh and you're keeping yourself out from the 5G and the, are you wearing your, are you, you know, is your cell phone in your pocket and, right. and yeah, I mean, you, you know, what are you eating and all that stuff? I mean, it's, it's, it, we tend to be selective about certain things. So, you know, as a practitioner for me, I like to have at least one ultrasound because I'd like to know that the baby has no spina bifida or no, nothing that maybe would be or where's the placenta so not contrary to delivering at home but we just did a podcast that came out today with uh, a, a woman who's a midwife in South Sudan and it, it's wow. fascinating fascinating listening to, to her stories so I suggest some of us just go find that podcast if they really want to hear what it's like to work with almost nothing as far as but you're not held to a standard there right he says nobody comes and tells me I did something wrong if we have an outcome that isn't great because it's not expected that we're going to have all great outcomes. 
Whereas here we've set the uh, bar so high that that's why people start to get nervous. And, and it, it's very understandable that the longer you're in practice and the more you get influenced by academia, and whether that be OB or whether it be the CPM program or whatever else, it's, you know, it's hard. And then when you're surrounded by people, it's like a, it's like a pregnant woman being surrounded by naysayers who tell her what you're going to deliver at home. Isn't that safe? Don't you care about your baby? I mean, it's the same thing as what you were describing when people were telling you what you, you know, you're not carrying medication. You know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. These people, I'm not saying there's, 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 they're, they're socially stunted. They're not thinking people, people's, brain and mouth are sometimes not always in sync. We have, and I'm totally guilty of that. I mean, I, that's why I podcast and stuff. It's because I have a filter that's broken a lot of the times and I don't keep it in, but I've learned to be, it's fun to, to hear about and see people that I haven't seen in 20, 30 years. And they go, God, I remember you used to yell all the time. You used to do all this stuff all the time. And, it's, and, and, and I, I don't really do that anymore. I, I, I rant, but I don't, you know, I'm not like angry because I find that being somebody that yelled a lot, that's a sign of insecurity. And people that are asking you those questions, like, well, you don't carry Medicaid, that's because they're insecure. They're projecting on you how they would feel. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's hard to keep that out. So it does sink in and we all hear that. And uh, yeah, so you want a job, by the way, we are very lucky in that we have a job that we love doing. Yes. And I don't care if it's Monday morning or Friday afternoon. It's, I, it doesn't matter to me. I love my job. I love going to the office. Mm -hmm. I love doing home visits. I'm not always thrilled to get up at two o'clock in the morning anymore. I'm just not. <laughs> and I have to say that, but that's because I don't sleep well. And that's partly because of you know, getting older. And I think you have, you know, have some orthopedic issues that, that make me uncomfortable at night. So, um, but I still love my job and I, and I feel very independent, but, but I, but I'm going to take a break coming up this summer. I'm taking some time off. I don't know, you know, part of it is the world as it is right now. And part of it is, do I want to stay in California? Uh, you know, part of it is I don't like being a first call. I've been on call for myself for 36 years. Um, so it's a lot. It and, is. And as you know, and I'm not, I'm not asking for a vi the smallest, world's smallest violin to play or anything <laughs> like that. I'm, I'm saying that all of us in this profession who love it the way we do are, you know, who are independent practitioners, that's the calling that we have. And that's what makes us enjoy our job so much. My colleagues who work in large groups or whatever else, they, you know, I, I don't see them being very happy. I don't really know any happy OBs. Mm. And I think that they... It's not easy to deliver people you've never met before. And it's sad to have the people that you've gotten to know during their pregnancy being delivered by somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I've never done that because I knew from the very beginning, I knew from when I was a medical student, when I picked OB, I wanted to do longitudinal care. And the way the Kaiser system works now, and most physicians coming out of residency no, no longer go into independent practice anymore. It's sort of a dead, it's a, it's a dead end for most doctors. Now they go, and a lot of them don't want it. They come out, they want to work a shift. They don't want to carry a pager. They don't want to be on call. And it's great for your lifestyle. It's great for raising kids and, and being, being in, um, in a relationship and stuff because being on call all the time sucks. Yeah. And, um, 
so so well yeah i mean i've sort of beat that horse to death <laughs> um but i understand where you're coming from and it, it, it's perfectly normal and you have to decide what works for you right. and maybe finding a soulmate uh who sees birth just like you do and then sharing some of the burden so that you're not necessarily on call or both covering each other at a birth you go to the birth first when she's pushing the other one comes just for an hour or so give you that extra support i don't know whatever you can do with lots of different things there's lots of different arrangements that you can do to try to continue to keep that enthusiasm because once that enthusiasm dies then it becomes work yeah it scared the crap out of me this summer when i felt that i remember talking to one of my mentors who is a trauma surgeon and i said i, I don't know why this is happening i never thought in my entire life I would ever say, I don't want to go to a birth. And I even talked to my therapist. I called her. I'm like, something's wrong with me. Something is seriously wrong with me. I don't want to go to a birth. Like, I literally don't care if I go to a birth or not. And to not feel that love in my heart for what I do, it was frightening. It was really frightening. But I knew that meant I had to step away. My friend and I bought some jet skis. And I went out on the lake and I scared the shit out of him because I would take those things full throttle and jump waves and have fun and be in the sun. And, you know, I just I had to just come back to um, myself. You know, I just I had to step away for a couple of months. And when I came back, I was so excited again. And, and I still, I still feel that excitement and it, it's very reassuring and validating to hear people like you who have been doing this for so much longer than I have to say that those feelings are normal because I didn't know they were normal. Yeah. In the last couple of years, I've had a couple, I've had a month off here and a month off there, just random chance. Mm -hmm. Um, one time I had a whole month off because I was supposed to go with Bliss uh, and my daughter. We were going to go to Ecuador to go to the uh, International Midwifery Conference. There yeah, I was going to be there. Mm -hmm. And that got that got canned because of COVID. And then, actually, I should say that correctly. That did not get canned because of COVID. <laughs> that got canned because of the lockdown policies yes. of all these countries. Okay. Yes. We could have we could have done them, and it could have been would have been fine. But mm -hmm. people didn't know it. But now I'm looking forward to the fact, I think I need to do what you did. And, and this is what Bliss did. She took, you know, six, seven months off. Finally, she had a tra trauma in her life a few years ago and she needed a break. And she took, now she's coming back to birth and she's so excited mm -hmm. about being back at birth. I don't know where I'll end up or what I'll do. And, you know, I don't know that I, I know I'm, I'm already licensed in, a, in another state. I'm applying for a license in another state. And I don't know that I really want to be licensed anymore. You know, right. I just want to be like Uncle Bob who was walking by, <laughs> yes. you know, hey, is there a doctor in the neighborhood? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. So, and, you know, I'm just sleeping in my car on the driveway and they call me in when the baby's coming and then I can, you know, just pretend I was walking by and, you know, you can you can do that, I think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right. Um, I, I, I really don't know what I want to do because, because here is, because licensing and all that stuff is only going to become more and more overbearing mm -hmm. um you know i don't know if things seem to be changing the the country and the canada truckers and all that stuff things are starting to change the european countries are starting to open up they've said we've had enough of this 
but there are people that are going to in our in our country and especially in the blue states who are going to hold on to this but i i think that that's part of the issue is that we have become uh, i just i i'm so fed up with sort of being told what to do that i've almost gone to the other end of the spectrum and and i fully expect that at some point they're going to come and they're going to tell me that i can't do what i'm doing that yeah. i think that when they pass the 2014 law in california against breaches and twins and stuff they didn't think there was any going to be anybody like me in the state doing it and they should have put the word physician in there as well in the law and they didn't so at some point they're going to do that or at some point they're going to say you can't renew your license unless you're vaccinated and in a state like mm -hmm. california they'll do that mm -hmm. they will make, because because what makes no sense is the norm in my state i would agree with that it is it is. We're going to give out needles. We're going to encourage people to be homeless. We're going to support them. We're going to have open borders, but we're going to ban those dastardly plastic straws. Right? We got to right. get rid of those plastic straws. Yep. Yeah. We got to, you know, we got to get, teach more. Um, we have to have more diversity seminars in our uh, in our businesses. We have to have more quotas on our on our corporate boards. These are the things that really matter in California. Right. Meanwhile, you know, the population in California has doubled since I moved here. And there hasn't wow. been one single uh, power plant, sewage treatment plant, anything has, nothing, no infrastructure has been built in the last 40 years that I've lived here. Matter of fact, you know, some of the nuclear power plants have gone offline. Um, the, road, the roads have not been widened much. They've been, uh, public transport is, is stupid in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, yeah, so these are the things that, really matter that they don't care about. Gas is over, you know, five five twenty nine a gallon for gas. Wow. Crazy. What's it get what's gas there? Three twenty nine when I filled up today. Yeah. We're paying two bucks more a gallon. Yep. And yeah. uh, we do a lot more driving. Yeah. You know, and I can afford it. But how does the gardener? I know. Goes from house to house who uses gas in his mower or gas in his leaf blower or whatever wheat whipper. Um, how does he afford that? Who, who's really getting hurt? They don't care. Got the rid of the, we got rid of the plastic straws. <laughs> exactly. That solved all the problems. <laughs> I know. But you know what? The turtles that were choking on the plastic straws, the sea turtles, you know what they're choking on now? Masks. Old masks. Exactly. Oh. They're everywhere. Yeah. But that's okay because they won't catch COVID then. Okay. Yeah. The turtles are protected from COVID now. I know, but there's more trash now by far than there ever was from plastic straws. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Right. I mean, yeah. you can't go to a grocery store parking lot and not see three. I wonder, how did these masks fall in the parking lot? Although I will tell you, in Ohio, it's very different. Like, there have been... I think there was a huge percentage of people that bucked the whole mask thing from the very beginning and walked around the stores without masks on from day one. And I hardly ever see people with masks on anymore. And I, it's been that way for months. That's heartwarming for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, because here, here you can raise a fuss. And if you go into a grocery store without a mask, they, they may leave you alone. You'll get looks from every, all the shoppers, but, they may leave you alone. They may come up to you and tell you to put a mask on. They're not going to, you know, 
look, we don't call the police here when they when they smash and grab at a jewelry store or when they break into your car and steal less than nine hundred dollars worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't prosecute those crimes in California because we're so progressive. Okay. But we're going to arrest the person who decides not to wear a mask into Ralph's uh, yes. grocery store. Yes. All the employees still wear them. But it's awful. When I go to a restaurant here and you're sitting there without a mask on and, the, and they make those poor waiters, you know, work six, eight hour shifts with a mask on. And the, the stupidity couldn't be, I mean, if you want, if you want to trust leadership, if you want to trust authority, you can't be doing stupid stuff that makes no sense that everyone can see. You can't be telling three-year-old kids that they have to wear a mask on a plane or they have to wear a mask in preschool and then go to the go to the NFC championship game and not wear a mask or say like our mayor did that, well, I took the mask off, but when I was taking a picture with Magic Johnson, I held my breath. <laughs> right. And we're supposed to believe that that's actually what you did. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, that's perfectly fine. Okay, Mayor Garcetti. That's perfectly fine. That makes sense. Let's. Be, I'm, I'm going to mask up and then vaccinate my five-year-old. Um, but you and and all these people. And by the way, I went to a, a game at SoFi Stadium this year. Um, I saw the. I think the, I'm a Viking fan. I'm from Minnesota. I saw the Vikings play the Chargers. Huh. And you had to have a vaccine card or a PCR test to get in. Okay. You were supposed to wear a mask. The minute you walk through the gate. 90% of the people were not wearing a mask. There were 70,000 people in that stadium. Nobody's wearing a mask. And nobody cares. But you walk into a restaurant or a public school or something. I mean, they, right. I, you know, and try to, try to go to a hospital. Try to visit someone sick in a hospital here in California. Can't do it. They're still pretty restrictive on hospitals. So most hospitals here allow two people to accompany a birthing uh, mom, but they can't change out. So like the two people that go in are going to be the two people. You can't switch them. But if it's a regular like med surge, cardiac unit, whatever, you get one person that can stay with you, but they can't come and go. Yeah, that was one of the worst things that I, I think, in, as far as inhumane, was the idea that we let old people just die alone. It was um, awful. Yeah, and, and, and I hope someday somebody looks back at us and tells us that 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 we were the era, the um, era of stupidity, um, and and more than stupidity, it was it was evil. My grandmother um, as, was as one far of as them. Goes, you, uh, fathers fathers here have to have a PCR test to go in with their wife. Yeah, it, I mean it's awful. It's just it's if you don't awful. have one, then they have to swap. They swab you, and you have to wait the hour or whatever it takes to get the result back. And if you're negative, then you can go up with your wife. But meanwhile, your wife goes up without you. Well, what's really uh, just very smart and makes a lot of sense here is that they're swabbing the mom, but they don't swab the dad. But the dad's allowed to come right in with her. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And by the way, since the masks don't work, are they swabbing the, the vaccinated nurses to see if they're shedding the virus? Because the right. unvaccinated nurses have been fired. Right. Yep. And that whole shedding thing is something that my clients bring up all the time. Oh, you know, the kid's grandparent just got vaccinated. I don't know if I want them to come over and see the new baby. How many weeks should I wait? And, you know, it's one of those questions that I feel like I don't have an appropriate answer for because there's not enough data. Yeah, I wasn't talking about that kind of shedding. I was talking about the vaccinated people shedding COVID. 
Not, yeah. Not the vaccinated people shedding spike protein, which is, I think, what you're talking about. I don't know. I don't know that there's data on that. I don't know that the CDC is interested in collecting data on that. Right. Of course. Uh, I don't no, think they're they not. No, because everything everything that they told you is going to be a lie. And and at some first it was everything they told you is going to be wrong, but early in the pandemic it went from wrong to being a lie, mm-hmm. because they knew it was wrong and they mm-hmm. kept telling you. Then it becomes a lie. Mm-hmm. They tell you something initially that they didn't weren't sure, but the certainty. And, and again, this is a we're going to have to go soon because I right. I don't have anything else on your list. But but one of the things I say a lot, and I think it really it really is important is you should not be worried about the skepticism that people have. You should be worried about the certainty that people have. And when people are certain they're right about forcing you to do something or whatever, and they silence your skepticism, that tells you right there that they're wrong. Because people that are confident in their position don't need to silence the opposition. That's great wisdom. Mm -hmm. I would be happy to sit on stage with Amos Grunbaum or Frank Chervenak, the two people that always, they, every six months or so, they publish a anti-home birth screed in, in the journal that, by the way, one of them is on the ethics committee of, which I find fascinating to me that that they always publish in a journal that one of them sits on the board of. Of course. Of ethics, the ethics board. It seems like that's a little violation of, or conflict of interest there. And then they always write down at the bottom, authors report no conflicts of interest. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Um, but I was sit on a stage with them. Uh-huh. And I think that their their argument against me would be that I'm an idiot, that I'm uh, that I'm like that I, you know, that I had a board in, in a, a board investigation. And they would just come up with the the pejoratives, you know, mm-hmm. that I, I you know, maybe I'm a white supremacist, I'm an anti-trans, I'm um, you know, whatever I am, okay. I'm anti-trans now because one doula in Alberta didn't like that in podcast 193, I was calling out Harvard for the, for the terms birthing people and chest feeding. Well, you know what? I agree with you though. I agree with it's a woman birthing and it's a breast. Even men have breast tissue and it's exactly, it's exactly my point. And by the way, if you think that you can't say, uh, women give birth because that's anti-trans, well then I'm telling you that you're anti-feminist. Yes. And why, why is one more powerful than the other? Well, I know why, because intersectionality has a hierarchy. And the top of the intersectionality pole are the LGBTQ plus plus XYZ. They're, they're the, the top. And everybody else, people of color, indigenous people, women, uh, whatever else categories are, <laughs> Hispanics, whatever, right. they're below it. So they have to defer, feminists, they have to defer to the top person. Right. And that's how it works. So that's why you, you, you can't, if you say that having, God, I'm really getting into it now. I'm really gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you're going to get a warning on your podcast now. But, you know, why, why is it an anti-feminist to say it's okay for a, a trans woman to compete in uh, swimming sports or track and field against women? Right. Why, why is that, you know, and, and that's considered anti-trans? no. No, I don't. The trans guy can run, or the trans woman, excuse me. I call, by the way, I call women guys too. That's typical. That's a Minnesota Midwestern thing. Yeah. But the trans person can can compete against other trans people. They can do whatever they want, but you can't have somebody with a male body competing against women. And, and clearly, it's obvious that you can't because they they not only 
break every record that the women have, but they break it by a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so on uh, that little tangent and to kind of wrap it up. Yes. Men in this country, I think, have been, their empowerment has been completely taken away. And the family structure has been completely destroyed, demoralized. There's, I love being with my families and helping them to to be stronger. And the dads I see benefit a lot from our prenatal visits and learning about family and birth and relationships and all these different things. Um, it, it's, it's really important to hold up the men as much as it is to hold the space for the women, I think, as far as our work goes. And I don't know if you've seen that as well, but men need to be empowered. They need to be empowered to take the place of the leader you know, women's lib and all these different movements have really taken away men as leaders. And I, I'm a woman, so I don't always have the right advice for men that feel like they are being disempowered and that they are being struck down and they don't know what to do. Um, you know, you are a father, you're also a practitioner. Do you have any words of wisdom for the fathers that are, you know, they're becoming a father for the first time or the fifth time? I do. I want to speak narrowly, first of all, to the the the, the husbands or the partners of the, of the pregnant women. <laughs> um, um, you can see what what academia. With all of these things have been affected by the left, and and whether you know you're a Democrat, that's fine, but you're but you're basically a useful idiot if you continue <laughs> to vote for the people that are putting in these policies. You may not like the Republican Party, but you can at least try to change your own party. Do whatever you want. But the idea that when this came out, that fathers initially the COVID came out, the fathers were initially not allowed in the labor room, tells you what they thought of fathers. They thought of them as non-essential personnel. They're not not essential personnel, and that just tells you because part of the philosophy of those in power who want to keep power is to destroy all the traditions of Western culture, which includes a nuclear family. It's why they come up with, and by the way, they're great at coming up with terms, come up with terms like toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. No, masculinity is great, mm-hmm. all right? We don't have to talk about the exception. I don't know too many women who who want a man who isn't masculine. Right. I just don't know them. The people that are promoting this stuff are these crazy feminists. They're always, always single. Most of them are white. They're like hopper middle class. They're university educated. And they're screaming about how uh, oppressed they are. You know, they grew up in the Hamptons and they're, they're oppressed. Okay. So... Um, they go after these the family. They go after men. They go after the church. They go after, you know, uh, the, the Elks Club, the bowling league. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that bind us together. Mm-hmm. You know, they ban church. They ban bowling, but they allowed you to go to BLM rallies and and uh, that sort of stuff. So they, they, they it was never really about health. Mm-hmm. But they're back to your question. Yeah, I have advice from it. Be that man. Be that person that you want to be. You don't have to be rude. You don't. You get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. But be supportive. Ask your ask your partner during your, your pregnancy. 
how do you want me? What do you want me? What do you want from me when you're in labor? Do you want me to take the lead? Do you want me to, to inter- you know, to stand and, and stand up for you? Do you what do you want to do? Because men don't know what to do. First of all, men feel awkward about around pregnant women. They, they don't really know what to do. It's, it's men and women are, uh, you know, men are from Mars or women are from Venus. And, we right. are, and we're two different things. Despite what the left says that men and women are the same. Another stupid thing. Right. They want to do away with male and female. Um, by the way, they, they, in California, we've taken a uh, boy and girl, or male and female off the birth certificate. Oh, boy. Oh. Yeah, I think I, I think that I, I think that either they no they it's more than they've added an other. I think they took male and female off the birth certificate. Um, good luck doing studies down the in, in the future about looking back at birth certificate records and, yeah. and trying to figure out <laughs> you know and, and not being able to look at look at males who trend who trend who who trans mm-hmm. and and think of them as you know, they still have prostate gland they still have other stuff and if you can't treat them as or, or a woman that goes to become a man right they still have a uterus mm-hmm. they can get cervical cancer they can get osteoporosis they can get things that are less likely in men and men can get heart attacks and less likely in women but if you can't treat a trans woman knowing that they by history that they were men at one point you're asking, it's, it's so illogical. It's, it's just, it's absolutely insane. It's, it is, it is insane. Yeah. So men should stand up and you know what, right now we need courage. We need bravery. One of the rarest traits we all, we have is bravery. We don't need more cowards. We don't need more useful idiots. Um, we don't need more, we don't need more single men uh, in age 30 sitting in their parents' basement. No going through uh, swiping left and swiping right on uh, Tinder and playing video games all day long. That, that is not attractive. And it's never going to lead to you being happy. No. Nope. You may think that, that you're, but you're not going to be happy. Mm-mm. You know, and what are, and what, and you have no sense of purpose. And when you end up ultimately don't have a partner in life and you don't have children, what is your purpose on the planet? And when you lose your sense of purpose, we talked about a little bit earlier, you find other purposes, like getting rid of plastic straws, or you know, getting rid of fossil fuel, or you know, thinking you're going to save the world from, uh, you know, it's it's not fair to take homeless people off the street or or prosecute crime. Great right. ideas. They've always worked in the human history, right? Every time stuff like this has been tried, it's ended up badly. Men need to be men. Uh, you can be kind. You can be, and as a matter of fact, you know, you can stand up when a woman comes in the room. You can open a car door for her. If she doesn't like it, she's not for you. Amen. You don't want a, you don't want a woman who isn't happy that you gave her roses. Okay. Yeah. I you know, am I a Neanderthal? Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm a I'm a happy Neanderthal. Right. You call you, because because it makes some people uncomfortable. They're going to call us names. That's what they're going to do. Of course. They can't argue the fact that that's what most people want. And why does the 1% always get to dominate the 99%? We, we've, we've reversed it. You know, there are majority can be tyrannical. I mean, it shouldn't always be majority rules, but, but if 70, 80, 90% of people want something, then why are we deferring to the one or 2% that don't? 
And, and, and they shut us up, so they think that we're a small minority. We think that parents who go to school boards and complain about the way their school, the schools are educating their kids or making them wear masks, that they're fringe people, that they're terrorists. No, they're normal. They are normal. It's you people sitting up at the, at the school board that are in your own little bubble that are abnormal. Right. But you have the media on your side, which is another whole thing we haven't talked about. <laughs> and you have big tech on your side because they're about power and control. Yeah. And it, that's a complicated issue. And I, we've really gone off the, off the, off the beaten path. That's okay. We love it. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Be a good father. You know, your children need you. The idea that, that you know, the Democratic Party, uh, I think when Barack Obama was running for president the first time, had a video about this woman who was raised by the state. And they, there was no father in it at all. The, the fathers are unnecessary. There was an uh, op-ed in the New York Times one time about no fathers aren't necessary. How sad. Nothing could be, nothing could be more necessary. Look at the rise of crime. Look at, look at, look at the poorer communities. And look where the boys end up when they don't have a father figure. Um, yeah. And I, would, yeah. and I would tell parents who have any sense of traditional values, don't send your kids to public school. Amen. Amen. Find a way to, find a way to homeschool them. There are tons and tons of people in your community who feel just like you do. Mm -hmm. And you can find them easily on social media, even if you're banned from social media or banned from GoFundMe or banned from Airbnb or banned from anything else. You can, there's alternative sources coming up. Uh, that you can get on and you can find groups and you can help educate, you can help share and educate your kids together. So maybe you have to miss a one day a week of school of work or a half a day a week and the other parents take over and everybody changes the shift and then get, you know, or you, or you band together, you find a good teacher who makes what $50,000 a year working for public school. I don't know what they make. You find a good teacher, you get 10 parents, I mean, 10 kids together and you pay each parent, pay, each family pays five thousand bucks, and you have that teacher teach your ten kids. You have ten kids in a classroom. Yeah. Imagine how fast you can teach mm -hmm. with ten motivated kids in a classroom. And get away from the public schools; mm -hmm. they're they're toxic. I agree. That's a really good point. And so is uh, so is the medical world. Mm -hmm. It's not doing us well. We have not improved obstetrical care. And many aspects of medical care um, and our health. I mean, we went from a you know five to six percent rate of chronic uh, uh, inflammation in children to fifty four percent of children now in the vaccine era. Oh goodness! There's some, there's some sort of autoimmune, just uh, you know, um, issue. So we're not doing well, and and we have went from a five percent C section rate to a thirty percent C section rate to trusting birth to absolutely not trusting birth and to educating two, three generations of women that their body can't do what nature designed it to do. And I'm on a mission to educate as few people, as, as, you know, as many people as I can, if I reach a few, I, I feel good about it. And one family at a time, like you are, yep. you know, we're giving them experiences and whether or not the outcome is exactly what they wanted it, they'll at least have the satisfaction of knowing that they were part of the decision-making process yes. and they got to have the trial. Not everybody's going to have a successful homework. Right. Okay. Yep. Thank you so much, Stu. It was so great to see you. You too. You too. I'm going to a postpartum visit right now. So.
Well, enjoy it. Yep, a beautiful water birth a couple of days ago, so it's time to go. Yeah, it was my first birth in like seven weeks, so it's been. It, I had a sort of a break. Well, so I'm excited good. to go see her, and then I'm real busy in March. Okay. I've got seven or eight clients due in March, wow. and that doesn't include the people I get at the last minute. That's a lot. And then I'm, then I'm, and then I'm, oh, I'm going to be teaching uh, my first reteach breeze class in a while uh, in Berea, Kentucky, with uh, Marin and Hindi Birth. Oh, that's pretty close on to April, us. On sure. April 10th. Yeah. Cool. And if people want to find out more about me, they can go to birthinginstincts.com. And if they want to look where, where we're teaching these reteach breaches, you just go to the events page and you can sign up. And if the links don't work, then you can just email me and I'll get that fixed. All right. And then uh, on Instagram, I'm at Birthing Instincts. And I hope you, uh, and, oh, and then Birthing Instincts podcast. So it's, everything's Birthing Instincts. Yes, and we will put all of your information in the show notes for sure so people can find you. Okay. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Oh, Dr. you know what? I can rattle. This is my therapy for both of us. <laughs> I'm glad you feel therapy. the same way. It's therapy to, to talk with like-minded people. And, and we're surrounded by like-minded people every day, but the world is so unlike-minded that it's really nice to have a conversation where some of the things, we don't have to agree on everything, but but some of the things that are really important get validated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the invitation stands to uh, Amos Grunbaum or Frank Cherbenak to uh, have an open live debate on stage at ACOG or at any uh, meeting where there's a live audience. Um, I'll be happy to sit there for two hours and we can do it Q&A style. We can do it open forum. We can do it any way you want. I'll be happy to talk to you because I don't think these people know anything about home birth. Mm. they just hate it and you always and to quote uh, from the Batman movie you always fear what you don't understand <laughs> there you go right. okay alright bye see ya thanks bye, bye. bye.